0: Friends, I was uh, bearing my soul to my wife, Judy, the other day. You know, people think that we blokes don't do that, but I make it a regular habit to confess my failings to my wife. I I do it regularly, once every four or five years. Anyway, I'd I'd apologise for being the grumpy person that I'd become. And then uh, I told her how much I appreciated her putting up with me. And then I confessed. I said, look, I I really don't take it well. I don't like it when people tell me what to do. Do you know what she said? She said, Oh, I know. I know. Folks, I do not like being told what to do. It gets right under my skin. Well, today we start a new series on the book of Titus in the New Testament. Short little book, three chapters. Um, we thought, we're calling it Life Together because we thought, wouldn't this be a great series to look at together as we look at how, how we're to live together as God's people? Wouldn't it be a great series to do when we start back at church together? And now, of course, we're not starting back, at least for a a few weeks because of the whole situation with the COVID thing. And I I know how nice it is, folks, to just plonk down in front of the computer on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night with my cup of coffee and my slippers on and just watch the service and make a few comments to let people know I'm I'm active and I'm there. Very easy to do, but that that is not what church is meant to be. We can't love one another. We can't stir each other up to love and to good works from our lounge rooms. So I hope this series, even though we are not meeting together just yet, I'm hoping it will get us all fired up and ready and keen to meet together when the opportunity arises, to stir each other up, to encourage each other, to love each other, to bear each other's burdens, even though it might be another four or five weeks before we actually meet face-to-face. So let me give you some background this book of Titus. Paul and Titus had planted this new church in Crete and Crete's the fourth largest island in the Mediterranean Ocean and there'll be a slide up there for you to see. Now after planting the church Paul moves on but leaves Titus behind to look after things in this new fledgling church to establish it to get it going to set up some processes. And in this letter Paul tells Titus how things are to operate in the new church for instance he tells titus to silence those who teach wrong things that's pretty tough isn't it i want you to silence them he says he says i want you to appoint elders of the church Uh, not elect them appoint them you do it and he sets out the qualities of the people titus is to look for he goes on to tell titus how to teach in terms of how the church members are to live together in their various sets of relationships. It's telling him what to do and by extension, telling the church what to do. And folks, knowing churches as I do, knowing myself as I do, you can imagine the church members, especially some of the newer members saying, who does Titus think he is telling us what to do, running things his way? And so right at the very beginning of this letter, Paul sets out his authority, an authority that he extends to Titus. Friends, as we take a closer look in the coming weeks at this letter to Titus, we might not like some of the things that Paul says either. In fact, you'll find people, even in Christian churches, who disagree with some of the things that Paul says in his letters. For instance, when he talks about God's wrath or marriage relationships, or roles within marriage, or as he talks about um, sexual relationships and gender, as he talks about Christians not marrying people who aren't Christians, or as he talks about sexuality. So let's take a look at what he says to deal with that issue of authority, to answer that unspoken question, who does Paul think he is? Well, this is how he starts his letter. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, a servant is someone who is at the beck and call of their master or mistress. They don't take the responsibility on themselves. They do exactly what they're told. They say exactly what they're told. They do what the master or mistress says. And Paul says, I am God's servant. I'm doing what he tells me to do. I'm I'm bringing his message. I'm saying what he tells me to say. I am serving God. I'm not doing my own thing or making up my own teaching. And then he goes on to describe himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And again, an apostle was someone who was given specific authority by another to be their representative. Can you see what Paul is doing? This looks like a very innocent, innocuous introduction to his letter. But he's emphasising that what he's about to say and the directions he's about to give are what God says, are what Jesus authorises him to do. He's saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ appointed by him to do exactly what I'm doing now. Friends, you might disagree with some things Paul says in his letters, but if you do, Be aware that you are contradicting the man appointed by Jesus to do this very job. He's answered the question that the people in the church in Crete might ask. Who does Titus think he is? What does he he think he can tell us how it is? Well, he has the authority of Paul, who has been given the authority by God and the Lord Jesus Christ appointed for that very purpose. And then Paul, in this introduction, tells us who we are, or at least the church in Crete, and by extension, us, the Christian church. He says we are God's elect. That means we're God's chosen people. Friends, just let the wonder of that seep deep into your bones. You have been chosen by God to be his daughter you have been chosen by God to be his son and the only reason of course that we can choose God that we can choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ is because he first chooses us and changes us and notice now next in the letter why he's saying these things he says it's for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth He's a servant of God and God has appointed him to serve his people. He's an apostle and servant for the sake of our faith. God has chosen the Christians in Crete and he appoints Paul to strengthen their faith and by extension our faith as we hear what he has to say. And notice too, friends, how knowledge of the truth goes hand in hand with faith. You know, back in the day when I was a youth pastor, I used to think that it didn't really matter what your theology was as long as you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Looking back now, with 35 years in full-time Christian work, I can see how I was completely wrong. Let me explain why. It's because I have heard good, faithful men and women who loved God, who were Christians, who preached the gospel, and it's no gospel. Calling people to come to Jesus Christ with no mention of the only way to come to him. Calling people to come to Jesus with no mention of faith in his work on the cross. No mention of repentance and turning to him. I heard a, some time ago now, you will never have heard of him, so I won't even mention his name, but a very famous and influential Christian preacher who held an outreach meeting at Rammick Racecourse and the whole grandstand area was filled with people who'd come to hear him. And he called for people to come to Jesus, to get converted. But his call was no different from someone who might say, come and join my club Again, no mention of the cross, no mention of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, no mention of of the results, no mention of, you know, turning and, and having a new way of life under God with God's forgiveness, no mention of forgiveness and grace. People are in our churches relying on having a a relationship with God when they've got no relationship because they have been taught wrongly. We Bible teachers have a huge responsibility to get the message right and to protect the truth from error. Getting our knowledge of the Bible right is so important because there are dozens of different Gospels out there all claiming to be the Christian Gospel and many of them aren't. You might be thinking right now, that's just your take on things, do you Who are you to say that your take on the Bible is right and other people's is wrong? And you're right to some extent, I'm not an apostle. The only authority any of us have, apart from given to us by human institutions, the only authority, real authority, any of us have to say what is true is the word of God itself recorded in the Bible. We need to know our Bibles and we need to have Bible teachers who know their Bibles and, because false Gospels become clear that they're false when you measure those messages against what the Bible says. And false Gospels are always a mingling of ideology with the Bible What do I mean by that? I mean, false gospels always start from a standpoint outside the Bible, outside the word of God, and they read the word of God then through the filter of their ideology. I'll give you an example. So the ideology that says we are all free to follow love and it's wrong to deny people their happiness and God wants us to be happy. Okay, that's an ideology. It's not biblical. And we clothe that that ideology, in Bible verses that talk about the love of God. And that leads us then to say, well, when the Bible talks about sexuality or it talks about gender or it talks about whatever it's talking about, it obviously can't mean what it says because that contradicts this ideology that I have. What we should do is start with the Bible. Read what the Bible says. Build build a biblical picture that then filters through our ideology we should filter our ideology through what the bible says not the reverse when ask yourself what your ideologies are and then paul goes on to say the knowledge of the truth accords with godliness faith and truth are in sync with godliness there is no godliness outside of aligning ourselves with the Bible's teachings. So Hebrews says, without faith, get this, without faith, talking about the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, without faith it is impossible to please God. How does that fit with your ideology? Romans 8 says, and it talks about there being two groups of people in the world, those who are governed by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, obviously the Christians, and those who aren't. And he says, the mind governed by the flesh, that's those who aren't governed by the spirit, is hostile to God. How does that fit with your ideology? It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I remember someone once telling me about their doctor who they greatly admired and was a really, really good person. And they said, if anyone will be in heaven, that person will be. And yet the Bible says, without faith in Jesus, it is impossible to please God. If you do not put your faith in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for you, nothing you do will ever please God. That is why it is so important to be out there telling people the good news You know, the whole COVID thing, I think, has made it really clear that no one is righteous. When you see normal, everyday Australians, not particularly wicked men or women, but ordinary people, putting the lives of others in danger by breaking COVID rules or putting people's livelihood in danger by breaking the COVID rules just because they don't want their life to be restricted, You can see the truth of what the Bible says, can you not? There is no one who is righteous. And so the only way to be right with God is through faith in our Lord Jesus who died for us in our place, defeating sin and death. Faith and truth are essential for godliness. And what's the goal of faith, truth and godliness? See what he says? the hope of eternal life. The goal of all this is a life beyond the grave, a life beyond this one where all suffering is gone, where every tear will be wiped dry, heaven. And you know what? This hope, as Paul calls it, it's not a vague wish. It's not, oh, I hope I can get into heaven sort of idea. This is a goal Our hope of heaven is a goal which God, who never lies, it says here, promised. See that in verse 2? And if God promised it, there's no room for doubt. How can we dare doubt God promises? It's only a hope because we haven't got it yet, that's all. It's a technical word the Bible uses, which means something that's sure and certain, but you just haven't got it yet then look at how Paul says we get this hope. He says God manifested it, revealed it in his word through the message Paul preached and by extension the other apostles of course, the message that God had given him to preach. No, the message that God had commanded him to preach and we call that message the gospel, the good news about Jesus' death for us. There is no other way to be right with God. See, there's an ideology around, another ideology that says it's called universalism. And it says that all gods are the same and all religion leads to God. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what Jesus Christ himself said. And that is not the message God gave Paul to teach and that Paul passed on to Titus to teach to the church in Crete. God's great plan has now been revealed in His Word through the preaching of the apostles, we're told. And here, the apostle is Paul. And today it's revealed to us through the teaching of Paul we have recorded in the Bible and the teaching of the other apostles. And through us, the good news needs to go out to others. And what is that message? What is the gospel? Oh, I highly recommend you study Romans chapter 3 through to Romans chapter 8 because there is a whole stack of Paul explaining what the gospel actually is. Study it and it'll help you discern what the false teachings are. But in summary, in Romans 3, Paul says, we are saved from God's justified anger at our sin by God making us righteous right with him if we have faith in Jesus' sacrifice for us and in our place. So here, in the very early parts of the letter to Titus, Paul is concerned that Titus leads the church well. And he gives Titus his authority, derived from God himself, derived from the Lord Jesus Christ, to tell the church how it is and how they should live together. And lastly, he describes Titus. Who is Titus? He says, You are my true son in the common faith. Who is Paul? The messenger of Jesus, the servant of God with God's message. Who is Titus? He is Paul's mentee, he is the guy Paul is setting up to succeed him in leadership. He is the one appointed by Paul to oversee this new church and to teach it and to care for it and to nurture it. By what authority? By the derived authority of the living God, dear Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't worship the Bible. We often get accused of doing that. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the living God. But you cannot divorce anyone from their words. These in the Bible are the breathed words of God. That is where our authority lies. And that is where the power of God to change people's lives lies. We need to read the word, study the word, know the word, and do the word. I want to encourage you, read through the book of Titus. Three chapters, not very long. And and get a big picture of this, this letter as we start to unpack it over the coming weeks about how we should live together as God's people because doing church at home is not God's plan. God's plan is that we one another and you can only one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, care for one another. We can only do the one another stuff as we meet. I want to encourage you. Look forward to meeting together and see this online church as an emergency interim measure. Life together. Let's pray. Our loving Father, thank you so much for your servants, the apostles. We thank you for the fact that their words were recorded for us. Your words. Father, I pray that you will help us to honour your word, to live together as your people well. Amen.